Today on the Matt Wall Show, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation about race. Another one. Though it shouldn't be uncomfortable at all, really, because all I'm going to do is give you the facts about interracial violence and homicide. The media is telling you lies, so today we'll look at the truth. Also, five headlines, including Utah's move to protect children from pornography. Uh, the mayor of Charlottesville goes entirely insane. And a soccer player is the latest spoiled rich woman to publicly announce that she's oppressed. In our daily cancellation, we'll deal with a few recent examples of alleged anti-Asian racism. But are they really examples of racism at all? My answer will, well, not shock you at all. But we'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. The events of the last few weeks seem to have sparked a renewed conversation about the threat posed by, in the words of a recent USA Today headline, white violence. These concerns, which are being expressed in spite of the fact that the Atlanta shooter was not motivated by race and the Boulder shooter wasn't even white, though all of his victims were, all stem from an alleged pandemic of white brutality, in the words of another headline. A quick trip through Google will pull up countless articles and editorials with phrases like white rage and weaponized whiteness and the threat of whiteness. As Kamala Harris's niece, Mina Harris, put it in a now-deleted tweet, Violent white men are the greatest terror threat to our country. The website MLive in Michigan has a story this week about black people in Michigan who are afraid to walk through the suburbs for fear of violence from whites in Michigan. It's reported that increasing numbers of black people are purchasing guns in order to defend themselves against dastardly white men. Now, the message from all this is clear. White people are dangerous and uniquely so. We're meant to believe, or at least to shut up and pretend we believe, that white violence is a serious problem in this country and that much of that violence is interracial. Now, as the media tries its hardest to stir up panic over the hordes of murderous, bloodthirsty white men supposedly roaming our streets, it becomes necessary to introduce some truth and sanity into the picture. Fortunately, the FBI, for the time being, at least until the woke mob demands that they, that they, that they take it down, has homicide statistics organized into handy charts and available on their website. You can go look at it yourself. A look at those charts shows, first, that the vast majority of murder is intra-racial. That is, in the lion's share of cases, one member of a race is killing another member of the same race. So in 2019, there were 3,299 white victims of murder, of which 2,594 were killed by other white people. There were 2,906 black victims of murder, of which 2,574 were killed by other black people. Given the sort of wanton slaughter between races and ethnicities that you find in other parts of the world and throughout other periods in history, it's quite remarkable, actually, how little interracial violence we actually have in this country, though the race baiters on the left are doing what they can to change that. As for inter interracial murder, that is murder um, between different races. The statistics just as clearly show that whites fall victim to that far more often than any other race. In 2019, 566 whites were killed by blacks as opposed to 246 blacks killed by whites. The numbers are very similar throughout all other years in recent history. Again, you can go look at this yourself. Outlets like Reuters have run fact checks on memes and social media posts that make exactly the claim that I just made which is based entirely on publicly available FBI data. And Reuters determined that the claims are somehow still false, or at least misleading. Maybe they'll say that about what I'm, maybe this, this is what I'm doing right now. 
is going to get a fact check and they're going to say it's wrong. Now, how do they do that? Well, they explain that though it's true that more white people fall victim to interracial murder, it's also true that given the population disparities, black people are more likely to fall victim to interracial murder. Now, that's technically correct, though it's nonsensical to accuse someone of stating a falsehood just because they didn't frame the statistical data in the way that you subjectively prefer. You take any data point, there are different ways of framing it, all of which could be true. What the fact checkers on the internet will do is they have one particular framing that they want to see. And if you don't frame it that way, they're going to they're going to they're going to fact check you and say that what you're saying is false, even if it's true. The problem, though, is that the more likely knife cuts both ways. See, if we say that blacks are more likely to fall victims than whites, we must also say that blacks, again, given the difference in population size, are significantly more likely to victimize whites. Any given black person is more likely to die by violence, even violence from a white person. But he's also more likely to be the one committing violence. That's what the statistics indisputably show. Those are just the facts. That's it. There's no way to frame the numbers that will get around the simple facts of the matter. The problem of interracial violence in America, though comparatively small, and we should be grateful for that, is a problem being driven much more by non-white people than by white people. Non-white people are committing the majority of interracial violence and also intraracial violence. And it's not even that close. If black people in Michigan or anywhere else are running to arm themselves for fear of homicidal whites, that fear is purely the product of media fabrication. It has no foundation in reality. None. What's the point of presenting this information? Why bother citing FBI, FBI homicide statistics? Well, because first of all, the truth matters, I think. I think it matters for its own sake. When someone like Jessica Valenti claims, as she did in a post on Medium, that, quote, young white male rage is the biggest threat to our country, she has no facts supporting her whatsoever. She has only her feelings, her perceptions, what she wishes were true, what she thinks ought to be true. Truth, again, matters for its own sake and must be asserted and asserted again, and reasserted in the face of lies and false narratives. And we must keep asserting it, asserting it every single time. Also, and this is really important, we have to consider why these lies are being told. It should make us suspicious and quite worried whenever we notice that any racial or ethnic group is being assigned the role of bad guys. It's what's happening right now to white people, white males in particular. Humanity has a long history of doing this sort of thing, of positioning a certain category of humans as the societal scapegoats. And we've seen the terrifying results of that time and time and time again. And when it becomes taboo to defend that group from the false narratives used to slander it, when the average person slightly recoils and kind of grimaces at the presentation of factual information, as some of you may have done, when I was just telling you the FBI homicide statistics, some of you, when you were listening, might have been like, eh, I don't know if you should be saying this. Well, when even average people have that reaction to the truth, that's when you know that we've truly entered the danger zone. 
Our cultural overlords have their reasons for lying about the great white menace. The reasons cannot be good. And they cannot lead to anything but horror and suffering and hate. That, after all, for them, is the whole point. Now let's get to our five headlines. Before we get to our five headlines today, I want to tell you about uh, one of our sponsors, True Underdog Podcasts. You know, raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, and faced with becoming a father of his teens, Jason Waller is the definition of a true underdog. After hearing the words no or you can't too many times, he unleashed the power within to start three successful companies with his most recent venture, Power Home Solar, skyrocketing on a path to becoming a billion-dollar enterprise. You can join us as Waller, a four-time entrepreneur of the year, um, shares motivational tips and inspiring stories and business-building lessons from the ground up. He shares his life experiences and that of his high-profile guests to help others better themselves as well. As Waller will tell you, there is no elevator to success. You know, you got to climb one step at a time. Let every true underdog podcast be that step that elevates you. You learn about failure, learn about entrepreneurship, learn about never quitting or making excuses. It's real, it's raw, it's motivational. got to check out this podcast and experience the whole thing. So go check out the True Underdog podcast, and you can find that at trueunderdog.com or anywhere that you happen to get your podcasts. Uh, I, I feel like kind of a hypocrite because I'm, I'm always complaining about pets and saying on this show and, you know, on Twitter, because it's a very important issue, that people shouldn't have beasts. They shouldn't have, they shouldn't have hairy beasts. Now, you could say that I'm a hairy beast, but, uh, but I'm a human. So they shouldn't have non-human hairy beasts in their home. Uh, and yet we have a cat, right? Uh, now, it's, it's not really my cat. It's my wife's cat. She's the one who insisted that we get it. And the deal was, when she brought the cat home, the deal was, okay, I, I will tolerate the cat being in the house, but I'm not going to take care of, the, of this animal. You have to do everything. I'm not going to do it. That's the deal. Otherwise, I'm not, getting, like, I'm not volunteering to do anything for the cat. Um, now, I didn't know. See, there was the, the loophole that wasn't made clear to me from the beginning, but uh, the loophole is that um, when a woman is pregnant, she can't change a litter box because there's a, a disease that you can get from the cat feces that can cause birth defects. And, um, and my wife, you know, we've had, we have four kids. We had four kids since when we got the cat. So I've spent much of the time cleaning the litter box. I'm kind of convinced that that's part of the reason we had, that my wife wanted to have the kids is just to get out of the litter box duties. But anyway, um, so yesterday, so we have this cat and yesterday, my, my daughter who's been around this cat literally her whole life, uh, suddenly developed allergies and an allergic reaction to the cat, which we're told can happen. Just one day, she's allergic. Never was before. Now she is. And, um, you know, she had this allergic reaction. We got the medicine for it. But when I got home and I was talking to my daughter about it, and I told her, I said, we, you know, we can just get rid of it. I mean, we, or we can give it to someone or whatever. We don't have to, it's like, we don't have to keep the cat around. It's, it's, the cat's trying to kill you. We can get, and my daughter doesn't want to do it. She wants to keep the cat. It just shows, like, these animals, this is, it's all a long way to get to the moral of the story here. This is a message from nature, a message from God, I would say, telling us you, you shouldn't have animals in your home. You can get diseases from the poop that will cause birth defects. They're trying to kill your children with their whatever causes allergies. And we just, we put up with it. No one can tell, no one knows why. Why do we put up with this? What do we get out of this? What do we get out of I know what the cat gets out of being allowed in our home. What are we getting out of this? What do we get out of this deal? 
Never got an answer to that question. All right. Okay. Um, number one, from the Daily Wire, Republican governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, signed a controversial piece of legislation on Tuesday requiring all smartphones and tablets sold in Utah to have filters that can block pornography. Governor Cox has said that the proposal would send an important message about prohibiting children from gaining access to explicit online material. Uh, the bill states it would require a smartphone or tablet sold in Utah and made on or after January 1st of the year following the year this bill takes effect to, when activated in the state, automatically enable a filter capable of blocking material that is harmful to minors. The filter on the device must, quote, prevent the user of the device from accessing material that is harmful to minors on the device, enable certain users to deactivate the filter for the device for specific content, and notify the user when content is filtered. Um, you know, and that's that's the bill. I, I think, yeah, it's controversial because we lived in a, in a porn-obsessed society, and many people, their porn habit is sacred to them, and anything that can present any obstacle to, to getting to porn for a lot of people in this country because they're addicted to it, uh, any obstacle they, they consider to be a, a horrific affront against them and against their human rights. Because what would be the reason for objecting to this? You want to look at porn, you still look at it. It's not, not going to stop you. It's just, you, got, you got the filter, you got to change the settings or whatever. Is that too much of an effort? But people are opposed to it. The, the whole idea, and this to me, now you know how I feel about porn. I'd be in favor of banning it outright. Um, so this is one little baby step in the right direction. I'm fully in favor of it. And the point here is to protect children. And what we have to remember is that children, and I know we're getting away from this in a big way in society. We talk about dangerous trends, a lot of dangerous trends when it comes to race, as we talked about. A lot of dangerous trends here, too, when it comes to children and our ideas of consent. But traditionally, what we've always known, and what is not just traditionally true, but actually true, is that children can't consent. They don't have the, the psychological ability to fully consent to, to anything, really, especially a sexual act. Um, looking at pornography is, in effect, a sexual act. You, you, are, you, are, you are becoming a participant, a, th a third-party participant in this sexual act as a viewer. Children can't consent to that. They don't have the ability to consent to it. So if this stuff is made available to them, they are victims. The moment a child is exposed to pornography... They, didn't, they cannot choose. You could say, well, they cho chose to look. No, they can't choose. They cannot choose to look at it. Even if they choose, they didn't really choose it. Because they can't consent. And choices about consent, they can't do it. So we can't expect them. We can't expect children to guard their own hearts and minds when it comes to pornography. We have to put the filters in place to protect them. And I don't want to hear anything about Oh, it's the parent's job. If your your parents should do it, I agree. The parents should be doing it. That so what? That doesn't mean that we shouldn't take other steps as well. Yes, parents should be protecting the kids from this. But number one, a lot of parents don't. And so, what are we saying about those kids? Too bad. There are millions of kids in this country. Their parents should be protecting them. Parents are not. And so, our message on porn is: Well, too bad. So what? Those kids, they'll be exposed to hardcore pornography at the age of eight years old and be psychologically ruined by it. 
Um, that, too bad. We're not going to do anything for them. Parents didn't help you out, kid. Sorry. That's the attitude? Yeah, that is the attitude of a lot of people. I find it, I find it morally deranged and absolutely indefensible. Because the only reason you're taking that position is just because you love looking at porn you don't want to be interfered with. So a lot of kids have parents who don't protect them. And then also, uh, they're, they're, it, it, is, it is not possible. A, a parent can only do so much to protect their kid from this stuff. It is so ubiquitous. And this stuff is out there everywhere. If your kid leaves your sight at all, which at a certain point he's going to, He's going to be around. His friends are going to have phones. There's going to be laptops and stuff. He's going to go to his friend's house. He doesn't have to go to his friend's house anymore, right? He could just go outside and be walking with his friend. The friend pulls out the, the phone and looks at it. Like, there's only so much that you as a protective parent can do. There's a lot you can do, but you can't do everything. Yet more reason to put measures in place to, to beyond parent, to what the parent can do to help these kids. It's like the analogy that I use of... Um, you know, think about buying pornography the old-fashioned way, the way, the way they used to do it the old, in the old days. Go, going to a, you know the gas station and buying a, a, a porn magazine or something. Now, um, what if a kid went in? You know, ten-year-old kid goes into a gas station, pulls a porn mag off of the rack, um, and goes to buy it. it. It would be illegal for the cashier to sell that magazine to the child. Now, you can say. What's that kid doing in a gas station by himself? Where are that kid's parents? It's the parent's job to make sure the kid's not buying a porn mag. True, you're right. Yes. But for whatever reason, the parents aren't there right now. Um, the kid is there. So does that mean that the cashier should just sell it to him? The fact that the parent isn't there, is that an excuse? Is that a good reason? Is that justification for the cashier to make the decision to sell that magazine? I would hope you would say no. Even if this kid has neglect, neglectful or negligent parents, especially if he has negligent parents, still you can't sell him the magazine. You're committing a crime if you do. See, you as the gas station, the person at the gas station selling this material, the onus is on you to put measures in place to make sure that kids are not obtaining this stuff. You, you can't do everything either. There are ways around it for kids, but you, you, there are some basic measures we expect you to put in place as the person who is offering this stuff to protect kids. Why don't we have the same requirements of porn sites? We, we have zero requirements. You, you understand that? Zero. Right now, there are zero requirements for porn sites in terms of, um, uh, of, of protecting kids and making sure that they're not giving their product to children. They, they, zero. We don't expect anything of them. We expect more of the cashier at the gas station than we do of like Pornhub. Once again, indefensible. Makes no sense at all. And I, I've never heard a defense for this other than, I've heard a lot of defenses, but they all seem to boil down to the person saying it. What they're really saying is, I like porn and, you know, I, I, I don't want to think about it any more than that. And I don't want anything to interfere with me looking at porn. All right, number two, Amber Athey works for The Spectator, and she has this report. She says, Governor Kristi Noem's office says in an email that she's a victim of conservative cancel culture and adds that she's not caving to the NCAA, but that the bill picked a fight with the NCAA, a fight that renowned conservative legal experts advise Governor Noem that she will lose. 
And then uh, the office continues, continues by saying, if conservative media would take five seconds to read past the knee-jerk headlines and actually understand Governor Noem's position, they'd come to a very different realization. Okay, let me say two things briefly. Uh, number one, this is not cancel culture. Okay, let's, let's, let's not misuse cancel culture. It's, it's already misused enough. This is a useful term. It means something. It's a very real phenomenon that's happening in the culture, uh, and it's important, and, it, and, and we need to be able to talk about it. And if you're using it in a context like this, you are helping to make this into a, you know, a term that has no meaning, like so many other terms now. So many once useful terms now have no meaning because of the way that they've been used and misused and overused. This is not cancel culture. You're the governor of the state. You've made a decision that your base doesn't like, and they're expressing that they don't like it. That's not cancel culture. I, I got to say, Governor Noem is impressing me less and less with each given day. Now you're whining that even if they're wrong, let's just say for the sake of argument that you, you're right and the base, including me, we're all wrong. It's cancel culture because we're disagreeing with you? You're not getting thrown out of office? You, you made a decision that we don't like and we're telling you. The people of your state are telling you they don't like it. Stop, you're canceling me. Oh, come on. And this thing about renowned legal experts, shut up with that. You cannot use the authority of a legal expert um, to convince us that what you're doing is right if you won't even tell us who the experts are. You know, Governor Noem rightly and bravely stood up against this kind of nonsense when it came to uh, COVID and the lockdowns and everything. And you had the pro-lockdown people saying, all the experts, all the experts say we should lock down. Well, now Governor Noem is doing the exact same damn thing. Except it's even worse now because we don't even know who these experts are. She's not telling us. All she's telling us is that she talked to a lot of experts and they said this was the right thing to do. No, it's your, if you're going to use experts as your justification, it's your responsibility to tell us who these experts are so that we can consult those experts or at least can vet them ourselves so we can know who these people are and decide if we should take their opinion seriously or not. Number three, uh, Nakuya Walker is the mayor of Charlottesville, and um, she posted a bizarre something. I don't know exactly what this is or is supposed to be, but she posted this to social media yesterday, uh, and she posted it, I guess, when I say social media, all of her social media. She posted it on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. She was very proud of this, and she wanted people to see it. Uh, and what it said was, I'm just going to read it. This is the thing that she put. This is the mayor of Charlottesville, and this is what she posted. Charlottesville, the beautiful, ugly it is. It rapes you, comforts you in its blank, stained sheet and tells you to keep it secret. Now, I have to say, these tourism campaigns are getting really edgy. Um, this is not... I don't know if... if you know, the, someone in the city, they, they, the tourism department came to the mayor and said, listen, mayor, you know, we're not getting a lot of visitors here in Charlottesville. There's been a lockdown. There's been a lot of bad publicity. Uh, we we got to get, we got to think of a, 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 a tourism campaign. We need something to put on the billboards, put on uh, bumper stickers, put in the, in the ads, advertisements. And this is what she came up with. Charlottesville, it rapes you and comforts you. 
I got to say, I, I, I think it needs a little work. You got to, you, I, th- this is why you really should be high. Speaking of experts, maybe a couple of marketing, get some marketing people in there. And I'm no marketing expert, but I don't know if this is the way to go. Now, later on, um, she posted the longer version of what she now says is a poem. And that's what the original thing was. This was what, what she had posted. What I just read was the short version, sort of like a haiku, um, and a short version of the longer poem. And here's the longer one. And this one she posted again to, I think, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, posted all over the place. Very proud of it. Here's the longer version. This, again, is the, the mayor of the city of Charlottesville. This is what she posted. Charlottesville, the beautiful, ugly it is. And I, sidebar, I, I don't know what that means. The beautiful, ugly it is. What is that supposed to mean? Um, the beautiful, ugly it is. It lynched you, hung the noose at City Hall, and pressed the souvenir that was once your finger against its lips. It covers your death with its good intentions. It is a place where white women with black kids collect signatures for a white man who questions whether a black woman understands white supremacy. It is destructively world-class. White people say that it is a place where gentrification started with the election of a black woman in 2017, and because of white power, a lie becomes hashtag facts. You always got to put the hashtag in your poetry. That's how you know it's really poetic. Its daily practice is that of separating you from your soul. Charlottesville is void of a moral compass. (laughs) This is the mayor of the city talking about the city she leads. It's as good old, it is as if good old TJ, Thomas Jefferson, is still cleverly using his whip to whip the current inhabitants into submissiveness. Charlottesville rapes you of your breaths. It suffocates your hopes and dreams. It liberates you by conveniently redefining liberation. It progressively chants while it conservatively acts. Charlottesville is anchored in white supremacy and rooted in racism. Charlottesville rapes you and covers you in sullied sheets. Now, she posted that and she said um, she, she wanted to know, is this better? Like, are you people still? The, is this better than the short version? And the answer, Mayor, is no. Uh, really, I got to tell you, it's not any better. Uh, significantly worse, in fact, than the original thing. And, and I mean, there's, there's so much to be said about this. One, one really doesn't know where to begin. Um, maybe I'll, I'll only say this and we'll move on that, you know, what does it tell you that this, this is the kind of person that Democrat voters select to run their cities? Maybe that, maybe, maybe we can learn why these cities run by Democrats. And when I say cities run by Democrats, I mean like, I don't know, all of them are in shambles because they're being run by people who hate the city and hate most of the people in the city. She says, Charlottesville suffocates your hopes and dreams. Now, there you go. That is the quote for the billboard. Charlottesville will suffocate your hopes and dreams. Thanks for stopping by. You'll never leave. Um, she's the mayor of the city. And it's not like she was just elected. I think she'd been the mayor for a couple of years. And she still hates it. You, you, you cannot lead uh, a city that you, that you hate. You cannot be a leader to people that you hate. 
I, I'm not saying you have to have some utopian view of your city. Obviously, you have to realize its problems. But if you despise it and hate it, as she obviously does, you're not going to be able to be a good leader. And also, if you're if you're if you're psychotic, you're not going to be a good leader. And she's also clearly psychotic. So we got a couple of problems there. All adds up to um, some real some real leadership difficulties. Got to get her some leadership training classes. Okay, um, number four. So yesterday was equal pay day, I think, like the, the fourth equal pay day of the year, I believe. We get a bunch of them now. Um, we, we got a bunch of Women's Days, Women's His- History Months, International Women's Month, International Women's Day, International Women's Week, Equal Pay Day, the next Equal Pay Day. So a lot of different things like that. Joe Biden celebrated the occasion by making uh, a pretty remarkable claim. Let's listen to it. Here's Joe Biden. I've told my daughters, granddaughters, from the time they were old enough to understand what I was saying, and I mean it, there's not a single thing a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better. Not a single thing. I was among the first senators ever to appoint a woman to the Naval Academy. I was just able to, as President of the United States, appoint two women as four-star generals. Okay, first of all, Joe, you say your grandchildren, once they were old enough to understand you, um, nobody is old enough to understand you. Nobody understands anything that you're saying. And also, speak for yourself. There's nothing a woman can do, nothing a man can do that a woman can't do as well or better. Speak for yourself, Joe. I believe that that's true of you. I totally believe that's true of you, but um, beyond that, it really makes no sense. I mean, first of all, you should see my wife try to parallel park. So let's start with that and then go to like, you know, bench press more than 150 pounds. Um, so there are many things we could list. I, I, obviously, that makes no sense. That statement is totally factually incorrect, though. If, if you believe that a male can be a woman, then I guess it could be true if you believe that, though the statement becomes meaningless at that point. Um, and then we had Megan Rapinoe, who is the uh, women's soccer player. And after Joe Biden, she took the stage to talk about how she's being oppressed. Now, we, we already know, we, we've heard a lot from um, spoiled rich women who are oppressed. Uh, uh, Megan Markle, oftentimes their ma- name is Megan, actually. And Meghan Markle, uh, uh, deeply, deeply oppressed in her $15 million mansion. Uh, Meghan Rapinoe, also oppressed. And here she'll tell us why. I'm a member of the LGBTQ community with pink hair. And where I come from, I could have only dreamed that I would be standing in the position I am today at the White House. I'm also a professional athlete. And I've helped along with all of my teammates uh, virtually here today, one teammate literally here today, uh, win four World Cup championships and four Olympic gold medals for the United States. And despite those wins, I've been devalued, I've been disrespected and dismissed because I am a woman. And I've been told that I don't deserve any more than less because I am a woman. You see, despite all the wins, I'm still paid less than men who do the same job that I do. Oh, you poor woman. What a, what a, you, you poor, poor, helpless girl. 
I guess that's the reaction you want, right? You want us to pity you? That's what you're looking for? If you want us to patronize and pity you, Megan, then fine, you'll get it. You poor little child, you poor little girl. Just shut up. You, 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 you're at the freaking White House speaking. Um, you're a rich athlete, world-renowned. It's still not enough, not enough for you. People don't appreciate you enough. You've been doubted because you're pink hair. If you don't like the comments of your pink hair, then, then, then dye it a different color. The reason that you haven't gotten paid the same as some of the male athletes is that women's soccer doesn't bring in that much money because not a lot of people watch it because most people find it to be boring like I do. Now, they might say otherwise. They might, they might theoretically support it. They might support women's sports in theory. They, they like the idea of women playing sports and they think that women should be paid the same. Most of the people saying that are not actually watching the games. If they were watching the games, you get paid the same as the men because you'd be bringing in all that money, but you're not because the money's not there. Male athletes get paid more because more people are interested, and that's it. Now, you could shout at everybody for not being more into That's your real gripe here. Your real problem is not that you're not getting paid the same. Your real problem is that people just aren't all that interested in the women's sports, at least not, not interested enough to be spectators, which is where the money is, right? And, um, and so that's what you're mad about. But you, you can't shout at people to make them be interested in something. You could try, but it's not going to work. You could scream at them all you want. Be interested in this. I demand it. I demand that you be interested in women playing soccer. You could do that, but it's not going to change anything. It's only going to make people less interested. So that, that, that's the issue that you're having. But even in spite of all that, Megan, you, you still are making a living playing a game. You know, most people can't even dream of that. Most people dream of it, but it will never happen for them. You're, you're, you're literally living out so many people's wildest dreams. And you're rich and famous and you're at the White House and the president is on your side. My God, how about a little bit of gratitude for a change instead of whining? How about be grateful for what you've been given, for what this country has made possible? This country that you despise, that you hate, it has yet given you all of this simply to play a game. And you've been able to carve out a spot playing a game, even though, you know, even though a, a moderately talented high school boy, it would be a better soccer player than you. And the reason I know that, by the way, is that you were beat by, by high school boys under the age of 15. You were beat by a bunch of 14-year-old boys. And I wouldn't even usually bring that up because, yeah, you're, you're a woman. They're, they're guys. They have the advantage. But when you go whining that you're not getting paid the same as men, you got beat by 14-year-old boys. And in spite of that, you still get to be a world-famous athlete, richer than most people will ever um, could ever imagine themselves being. And all you could do is whine and complain. I, I think it's just disgraceful. It's, it is more than annoying. It is actually infuriating. 
But fine. Maybe that should be our policy from now on. If these people want to be patronized and pitied, then let's patronize and pity them. That's what they want. Joe Biden's up there. Women can do anything that men can do. A, a woman, like, with her head on her shoulders, uh, would, would is, is angry at, at that because it's so patronizing. You're treating me like a child. I know that's not true. A self-respecting woman, that's going to be her reaction to that kind of nonsense. But Megan Rapinoe, she loves it. She's not self-respecting, clearly. And she wants to be patronized, too. All right, let's move on to reading the YouTube comments. Uh, This is from Ellen Welsh. She says, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is delivered to us in the hands of fat cherubs from heaven, sir. Heaven. No, Ellen. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, as I made clear, is is not for... uh, the age limit on that is for is 14, I'll say. You know, right when you're at the age where you're beating um, the Olympic uh, women's soccer team, th- you know, like right at that age, that's sort of the cutoff. And also you're banned from the show, unfortunately, for that infraction. Another one says, Matt, absolutely love the cancellation segment. You rant on and on, and I just can't wait for the dramatic they are canceled part. You have perfected the deep, stern voice and icy stare into the camera. Wow, just wow. Also, I agree, I agree with you that every voter should have to take a basic knowledge test just like you do to get your driver's license. Well, thank you for watching the show. I'm not going to ban you for that. Um, I'm always looking for any excuse. And you didn't give me one because it was nothing but nice things. Mark says, Matt, the Daily Wire should officially change its name to the Daily Joy because of the immeasurable joy I get every single day from tuning in. Best money I ever spent. Godspeed. You're not supposed to get joy, Mark. Um, despair. That's really what I'm going for here. Joy is not it. So, uh, sadly, you're banned from the show. Um, another one says, I've been watching the Matt Wall show a couple months, and I made it a priority to watch every day. Oh, so you only started watching it a couple months ago. Why didn't... Why were you watching it before then? What were you doing? I mean, I've been doing this for a couple of years, and you just started watching a couple months ago. Well, obviously, you got to be banned for that. Finally, uh, Callie says, Matt, while looking at my reading list, I realize something is missing. I have books by Ben, Andrew, and Candace, and Michael's is on pre-order. Any plans for a book of your own? No pressure, but I would definitely buy and read it. Love the show. I've written two books. You know, um, The Unholy Trinity and, and, and uh, Church of Cowards. You didn't know that I wrote, wrote two books. Well, you know what happens now. Banned from the show. But those are the books, though, and you can buy them. Uh, Unholy Trinity and Church of Cowards. Thanks for asking. And one thing we can agree on as conservatives, in theory, allegedly, is that we all love the Constitution. Uh, it's what we all say anyway, right? That, the, that we're constitutional conservatives. You rarely hear from a non-constitutional conservative. Um, but the problem is that few of us have actually studied it, um, and even fewer stand ready to defend it. That's what my friends over at constitutioncoach.com are all about. They've got a lot of great programs for equipping citizens to defend liberty by studying and living out the Constitution. And I just, I've been telling you about the the constitutional defense course that I experienced this past weekend. First of all, if I can have fun doing it, then you know that that you can. So my my bar is pretty high for having fun. But it's not just about having fun. You also are learning really important skills. And I walked away from my experience feeling much, much more comfortable handling a firearm, ready to defend myself, uh, my family, than I ever was before. You get an amazing combination of intellectual ammunition and live classes with Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, and then you also get the physical training at the premier firearm facility in the nation, all in the same course. 
You get to join hundreds of other Patriots from across the nation. So you're learning and training. You also get that fellowship with like-minded people, and you get that experience of knowing that like, you're, not, you're not alone out there. There are other people just like us, which sometimes can come as a revelation. Uh, so you got to go to constitutioncoach.com. Rick and the Constitution Coach team have another class on April 25th, but it will fill up fast. So visit constitutioncoach.com today and watch my video there to find out more about how you can be a part of this one-of-a-kind training, constitutioncoach.com. And listen, if you um, haven't heard by now, the Candace Owens show is, uh, is, is happening. It's, it's live. It's happening. Candace Owens has a brand new talk show with us exclusively at dailywire.com. The full show is available at dailywire.com for Daily Wire members, but Candace, the podcast is available on Apple and you can, uh, or you can get it on Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. And I would recommend that because the Candace podcast features several breakout segments from the full length show, including interviews, panel discussions, and her advice corner. The podcast is, is really good. So is the full show. So make sure you go Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today and be sure to leave a five-star review. So, um, so they know that uh, you like hearing everything they have to offer there. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we must go on another cancellation spree, just like the banning spree that I, that I just went on. Canceling a whole line of people. I, I don't like having to do it. You know it hurts me more than it hurts you, but I have to, I've been left no choice. Today the cancellations will all focus on the issue of fake anti-Asian racism, which has been a common theme over the past few weeks. So we must now give our attention to some especially egregious examples. And we'll start with Megan McCain, who issued an apology this week for previously using the term China virus in referencing uh, COVID. This apology came after John Oliver, the most overrated Brit since John Lennon, called her out uh, for her alleged anti-Asian racism. And McCain relented to that, and and she she issued a statement, an apology, and it said, I condemn the reprehensible uh, violence and vitriol that has been targeted towards the Asian American community. There is no doubt Donald Trump's racist rhetoric fueled many of these attacks and I apologize for any past comments that aided that agenda. I mean, never mind that there is no evidence at all that Trump's rhetoric has fueled any attacks on Asians. The greater point is that she had nothing to apologize for. In fact, McCain never even used the term China virus herself, actually, as far as I know. She merely said that she doesn't mind when Trump uses it. And that statement, uttered by a host on The View, is supposed to have somehow helped to inspire a massacre at a massage parlor? So she's on The View and says, yeah, I don't mind when he says it. And that somehow contributed to a guy shooting up a massage parlor. What? I mean, that makes no sense. You're being defamed, slandered. Rather than say that it makes no sense and defend yourself, you apologize. Meanwhile, a massively viral Twitter thread from a woman named Michelle Kim. Pronouns in the bio, so you know this will be good. The thread explains why it's racist to mispronounce Asian names. She writes, quote, Why the name thing is so triggering to me and many other Asians. A thread. I spent my entire adult life in the U.S. by my nickname, Michelle, because I hated dealing with the burden of correcting people each time they got my name wrong. I hated the shame I felt every new school year when the teacher would butcher my Korean name on the roster. If you went to a school with a lot of Asian kids, you know the drill. Teacher mispronounces Asian name. Asian student, uh, I go by Peter. Other kids chuckle. When my grandma passed last month, we had, we had to correct the memorial service people multiple times to get her first and last name written correctly. Half of her first name kept being written in the middle name section on her death certificate marker everywhere. It was exhausting. These might be small conveniences 
inconveniences to people, but our names are are, are our identity. It's our heritage. It's what we have left that reminds us who we are, where we come from. My grandpa gave me my Korean name. It has a beautiful origin and meaning. I'm ashamed I don't use it today. Okay. So um, use it then? I mean, whose fault is that? Well, of course, it's everyone's fault but your own. As for mispronouncing Asian names, that's not racist. It's also not anything that we should have to apologize for. I don't apologize for mispronouncing anyone's name, Asian or not. It's not something that you do on purpose. You, 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 mis, you mispronounce it. It's an accident. It happens. Like when I mispronounce uh, Kamala Harris's name. A totally, it's a total accident. I don't mean to do it every time. Asian names are um, unusual in the West, right? And they're difficult for us to pronounce because they use sounds that aren't common in our language. The same goes in the reverse. Many English words and names are difficult for many Asians to pronounce because our language uses sounds that aren't common in their language. I could never imagine moving to a foreign country on the other side of the world and then getting mad at them, having the gumption, the gall to be mad at them because they struggle to pronounce my extremely unusual name, extremely unusual to them, that is. I mean, what is their actual sin? What am I blaming them for? Am I angry at them simply for being Asian? Simply for having their, lang- their language and not mine? Isn't that racist on my part? By the way, one other note. I have no doubt that Michelle Kim and other Asians experienced some bullying in school when kids laughed at and snickered at their unusual names. Unusual to them, to the other kids in this country. I have no doubt you know, that that happened. And I have no doubt that it was tough to deal with as a child. I, I, I'm sure that's the case, but you're not a child anymore. It's time to move past that. Get over it. Guess what? Everybody got laughed at and picked on for something in school. There was something about everyone that was deemed unusual and strange to the other kids. And they laughed about it. If it wasn't your name, it was some physical feature. If it wasn't that, it was some personality quirk. If it wasn't that, then it was something else. How you dressed, whatever, anything. We all got it. We all dealt with it. You're not different. You're not special. You're the same as everybody else. Time to move on. You're an adult now. And also you're canceled. But there's one more. Jay Leno. um, Variety reports this. Says, quote, late night host and comedian Jay Leno has issued an apology for a series of jokes told over his career targeting Asian communities. The apology comes after nearly 15 year campaign from the activist group Media Action. uh, That is Media Action Network for Asian Americans. For remarks as recent as Variety's 2020 report that Leno cracked about um, Koreans eating dog meat, a, a, a complaint that offended numerous players in the set of NBC's America's Got Talent. At the time, uh, and this is Leno now talking, at the time I did those jokes, I genuinely thought that they were harmless. Uh, I was making fun of our enemy, North Korea, and like most jokes, there was a ring of truth to them. Leno continued, at the time, there was a prevailing attitude that some group is always complaining about something, so don't worry about it. Whenever we received a complaint, there would be two sides to the discussion. Either we need to deal with this or screw them if they can't take a joke. Too many times I sided with the latter, even when in my heart I knew it was wrong. In light of that, Leno said, quote, I am issuing this apology. I do not consider this particular case to be another example of cancel culture, but a legitimate wrong that was done on my part. MANA has been very gracious in accepting my apology. I hope that the Asian American community will be able to accept it as well, and I hope I can live up to their expectations in the future. Now, apparently nearly all of the anti-Asian jokes were about Asians eating dog meat. And that's what Leno was apologizing for. But he was right the first time. 
See, he was right when he had the screw them if they don't take, they can't take a joke attitude. That's the right attitude. That's also the only attitude a comedian can have if he wishes to remain a comedian. As for jokes about Asians eating dogs, well, let me put this delicately. Asians do eat dogs. It's a little less common now than it used to be, but it's still very common. The BBC has a report on their website from 2017 titled, The Countries Where People Still Eat Cats and Dogs for Dinner. And it says, citing the Humane Society International, that, quote, an estimated 30 million dogs across Asia, including stolen family pets, are still killed for human consumption every year. 30 million. So, Asians eat dogs. That's a factual statement. Not all Asians, of course, but it's a stereotype firmly grounded in reality. What's racist here? Is it racist to point it out? Is it racist simply to notice what is true? So is the BBC racist for reporting on this incident at all? Or this fact at all? Or is, is it racist to joke about what's true? What else are you going to joke about? Jokes about what isn't true aren't very funny. You know, when someone's making observational humor and they're observing something that isn't true, you're not going to laugh about that. From our perspective, okay, from our perspective in the West, eating dogs is strange. It's, it's weird. It's odd. Just like someone from another country might look at our obsession with fast food and find it sort of peculiar and humorous. And so they might make jokes about it. And they do make jokes about it. We, likewise, might notice some of the dietary habits in other parts of the world and get our own chuckles out of it. So what? I mean, I like fast food as much as the next guy, but it's not sacred. It's not some sort of hallowed sacrament. It is kind of weird that we eat so much of it. There are plenty of funny things you can say about the fact that we eat so much of it, that we spend so much of our lives in drive through lines. It's kind of sad, and, but also funny. And there, there are things you can say. There's observations you can make about it. Comedians make those observations all the time. There's ample material here for jokes, so have at it. I don't see why we can't have the same attitude and the same approach about eating dogs or eating anything else that people eat. Here's the thing. The people who are trying to stop us from telling any jokes that have anything to do with race will say that their goal is to have greater inclusion and racial harmony. But their goal is exactly the opposite. Because the way to have inclusion and harmony, or something close to harmony, as close as you can get to it, the way to do that is to joke. It is to prod at the sacred cows. It is to see the absurdity in ourselves and each other and laugh about it. You cannot ever be included in a group, be it a friend group or a country, if you demand that nobody jokes about you, that nobody can tell any jokes about you. And, and you know that you're not really included, that, 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 that they don't really consider you one of them if they're not joking about you. This is especially true for men, I can tell you. If you're with a group of guys and they're, they're all making fun of each other and ragging on each other, and, and often, if you've been around guys in this environment, the jokes can be Brutal. I mean, I forget about racial is like only the start of it. These could be brutal jokes to each other. But this is how they bond. And everyone's laughing and having a good time. And if you're in this group and you're noticing this, and nobody is throwing any barbs at you, it's not because they all respect you so deeply or they care about you more than they care about each other. Quite the opposite. It means they don't feel as comfortable with you. It means they don't like you as much. They don't know you like that. 
They don't consider you a friend. They don't consider you one of them. It is at the moment that one of them turns to you and says, hey, dumbass, that's when you know you're a part of the tribe. That's when you know that you belong. Now, I think this holds true on a much larger level. I think it holds true on a national level. And, and what it means is that the more we stop people from joking about each other, the more we stop people from, from, uh, from joking about each other, the, the more we stop them from fitting in, the more we stop them from being included, from getting along. So this is a very long way of saying that Jay Leno is canceled. So is Megan McCain. So is uh, the other woman I mentioned. All canceled. Canceled, canceled, canceled. All of them. And we will leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Biden claims that women are better than men at everything. The Senate confirms a man who thinks he's a woman to a senior role in the Department of Health. And that soccer lady whines at the White House. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.